Section five of Twilight in Italy by D. H. Lawrence. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. On the Lago di Garda, San Gaudenzio. In the autumn, the little rosy cyclamens blossom in the shade of this west side of the lake. They are very cold and fragrant, and their scent seems to belong to Greece, to the Bacchae. They are real flowers of the past. They seem to be blossoming in the landscape of Phaedra and Helen. They bend down, they brood like little chill fires. They are little living myths that I cannot understand. After the cyclamens, the Christmas roses are in bud. It is at this season that the cachia ripe on the trees in the garden, whole naked trees full of lustrous, orange-yellow, paradisal fruit, gleaming against the wintry blue sky. The monthly roses still blossom frail and pink, there are still crimson and yellow roses. But the vines are bare and the lemon houses shut. And then, midwinter, the lowest buds of the Christmas roses appear under the hedges and rocks and by the streams. They are very lovely, these first large, cold, pure buds, like violets, like magnolias, but cold, lit up with the light from the snow. The days go by, through the brief silence of winter, when the sunshine is so still and pure, like iced wine, and the dead leaves gleam brown, and water sounds hoarse in the ravines. It is so still and transcendent, the cypress trees poise like flames of forgotten darkness, that should have been blown out at the end of the summer. For as we have candles to light the darkness of night, so the cypresses are candles to keep the darkness aflame in the full sunshine. Meanwhile, the Christmas roses become many. They rise from their budded, intact humbleness near the ground, they rise up, they throw up their crystal, they become handsome, they are heaps of confident, mysterious whiteness in the shadow of a rocky stream. It is almost uncanny to see them. They are the flowers of darkness, white and wonderful beyond belief. Then their radiance becomes soiled and brown, they thaw, break, and scatter and vanish away. Already the primroses are coming out and the almond is in bud. The winter is passing away. On the mountains the fierce snow gleams apricot gold as evening approaches, golden, apricot, but so bright that it is almost frightening. What can be so fiercely gleaming when all is shadowy? It is something inhuman and unmitigated between heaven and earth. The heavens are strange and proud all the winter, their progress goes on without reference to the dim earth. The dawns come white and translucent, the lake is a moonstone in the dark hills, then across the lake there stretches a vein of fire, then a whole orange flashing track over the whiteness. There is the exquisite silent passage of the day, and then at evening the afterglow, a huge incandescence of rose, hanging above and gleaming, as if it were the presence of a host of angels in rapture. It gleams like a rapturous chorus, then passes away, and the stars appear, large and flashing. Meanwhile the primroses are dawning on the ground, their light is growing stronger, spreading over the banks and under the bushes. Between the olive roots the violets are out, large, white, grave violets, and less serious blue ones. And looking down the hill, among the grey smoke of olive leaves, pink puffs of smoke are rising up. It is the almond and the apricot trees, it is the spring. Soon the primroses are strong on the ground. There is a bank of small, frail crocuses shooting the lavender into this spring. And then the tussocks and tussocks of primroses are fully out. There is full morning everywhere on the banks and roadsides and streamsides and around the olive roots, a morning of primroses underfoot with an invisible threading of many violets, 
and then the lovely blue clusters of hepatica really like pieces of blue sky showing through a clarity of primrose the few birds are piping thinly and shyly the streams sing again there is a strange flowering shrub full of incense overturned flowers of crimson and gold like bohemian glass between the olive roots new grass is coming day is leaping all clear and coloured from the earth it is full spring full first rapture does it pass away or does it only lose its pristine quality it deepens and intensifies like experience the days seem to be darker and richer there is a sense of power in the strong air on the banks by the lake the orchids are out many many pale bee orchids standing clear from the short grass over the lake and in the hollows are the grape hyacinths purple as noon with the heavy sensual fragrance of noon they are many-breasted and full of milk and ripe and sun-darkened like many-breasted diana we could not bear to live down in the village any more now that the days opened large and spacious and the evenings drew out in sunshine we could not bear the indoors when above us the mountains shone in clear air it was time to go up to climb with the sun so after easter we went to san gaudenzio it was three miles away up the winding mule track that climbed higher and higher along the lake leaving the last house of the village the path wound on the steep cliff-like side of the lake curving into the hollow where the landslip had tumbled the rocks in chaos then out again on to the bluff of a headland that hung over the lake thus we came to the tall barred gate of san gaudenzio on which was the usual little fire insurance tablet and then the advertisements for beer birra verona which is becoming a more and more popular drink through the gate inside the high wall is the little garden of eden a property of three or four acres fairly level upon a headland over the lake the high wall girds it on the land side and makes it perfectly secluded on the lake side it is bounded by the sudden drops of the land in sharp banks and terraces overgrown with ilex and with laurel bushes down to the brink of the cliff so that the thicket of the first declivities seems to safeguard the property the pink farmhouse stands almost in the centre of the little territory among the olive trees it is a solid six-roomed place about fifty years old having been rebuilt by paolo's uncle here we came to live for a time with the fiori maria and paolo and their three children giovanni and marco and felicina paolo had inherited or partly inherited san gaudenzio which had been in his family for generations he was a peasant of fifty-three very grey and wrinkled and worn-looking but at the same time robust with full strong limbs and a powerful chest his face was old but his body was solid and powerful his eyes were blue like upper ice beautiful he had been a fair-haired man now he was almost white he was strangely like the pictures of peasants in the northern italian pictures with the same curious nobility the same aristocratic eternal look of motionlessness something statuesque his head was hard and fine the bone finely constructed though the skin of his face was loose and furrowed with work his temples had that fine hard clarity which is seen in mantegna an almost jewel-like quality we all loved paolo he was so finished in his being detached with an almost classic simplicity and gentleness an eternal kind of sureness there was also something concluded and unalterable about him something inaccessible maria fiori was different she was from the plain like enrico percevalli and the bersaglieri from the venetian district she reminded me again of oxen broad-boned and massive in physique dark-skinned slow in her soul 
but like the oxen of the plain she knew her work she knew the other people engaged in the work her intelligence was attentive and purposive she had been a housekeeper a servant in venice and verona before her marriage she had got the hang of this world of commerce and activity she wanted to master it but she was weighted down by her heavy animal blood paolo and she were the opposite sides of the universe the light and the dark yet they lived together now without friction detached each subordinated in their common relationship with regard to maria paolo omitted himself maria omitted herself with regard to paolo their souls were silent and detached completely apart and silent quite silent they shared the physical relationship of marriage as if it were something beyond them a third thing they had suffered very much in the earlier stages of their connection now the storm had gone by leaving them as it were spent they were both by nature passionate vehement but the lines of their passion were opposite hers was the primitive crude violent flux of the blood emotional and undiscriminating but wanting to mix and mingle his was the hard clear invulnerable passion of the bones finely tempered and unchangeable she was the flint and he the steel but in continual striking together they only destroyed each other the fire was a third thing belonging to neither of them she was still heavy and full of desire she was much younger than he how long did you know your signora before you were married she asked me six weeks i said il paolo e me venti giorni tre settimane she cried vehemently three weeks they had known each other when they married she still triumphed in the fact so did paolo but it was past strangely and rather terribly past what did they want when they came together paolo and she he was a man over thirty she was a woman of twenty-three they were both violent in desire and of strong will they came together at once like two wrestlers almost matched in strength their meetings must have been splendid giovanni the eldest child was a tall lad of sixteen with soft brown hair and grey eyes and a clarity of brow and the same calm simplicity of bearing which made paolo so complete but the son had at the same time a certain brownness of skin a heaviness of blood which he had from his mother paolo was so clear and translucent in giovanni the fusion of the parents was perfect he was a perfect spark from the flint and steel there was in paolo a subtle intelligence in feeling a delicate appreciation of the other person but the mind was unintelligent he could not grasp a new order maria fiori was much sharper and more adaptable to the ways of the world paolo had an almost glass-like quality fine and clear and perfectly tempered but he was also finished and brittle maria was much coarser more vulgar but also she was more human more fertile with crude potentiality his passion was too fixed in its motion hers too loose and overwhelming but giovanni was beautiful gentle and courtly like paolo but warm like maria ready to flush like a girl with anger or confusion he stood straight and tall and seemed to look into the far distance with his clear gray eyes yet also he could look at one and touch one with his look he could meet one paolo's blue eyes were like the eyes of the old spinning woman clear and blue and belonging to the mountains their vision seemed to end in space abstract they reminded me of the eyes of the eagle which looks into the sun and which teaches its young to do the same although they are unwilling marco the second son was thirteen years old he was his mother's favorite giovanni loved his father best but marco was his mother's son 
with the same brown gold and red complexion like a pomegranate and coarse black hair and brown eyes like pebble like agate like an animal's eyes he had the same broad bovine figure though he was only a boy but there was some discrepancy in him he was not unified he had no identity he was strong and full of animal life but always aimless as though his wits scarcely controlled him but he loved his mother with a fundamental generous undistinguishing love only he always forgot what he was going to do he was much more sensitive than maria more shy and reluctant but his shyness his sensitiveness only made him more aimless and awkward a tiresome clown slack and uncontrolled witless all day long his mother shouted and shrilled and scolded at him or hit him angrily he did not mind he came up like a cork warm and roguish and curiously appealing she loved him with a fierce protective love grounded on pain there was such a split a contrariety in his soul one part reacting against the other which landed him always into trouble it was when marco was a baby that paolo had gone to america they were poor on san gaudenzio there were the few olive trees the grapes and the fruit there was the one cow but these scarcely made a living neither was maria content with the real peasant's lot any more polenta at midday and vegetable soup in the evening and no way out nothing to look forward to no future only this eternal present she had been in service and had eaten bread and drunk coffee and known the flux and variable chance of life she had departed from the old static conception she knew what one might be given a certain chance the fixture was the thing she militated against so paolo went to america to california into the gold mines maria wanted the future the endless possibility of life on earth she wanted her sons to be freer to achieve a new plane of living the peasant's life was a slave's life she said railing against the poverty and the drudgery and it was quite true paolo and giovanni worked twelve and fourteen hours a day at heavy laborious work that would have broken an englishman and there was nothing at the end of it yet paolo was even happy so this was the truth to him it was the mother who wanted things different it was she who railed and railed against the miserable life of the peasants when we were going to throw the fowls a dry broken penny roll of white bread maria said with anger and shame and resentment in her voice give it to marco he will eat it it isn't too dry for him white bread was a treat for them even now when everybody eats bread and maria fiori hated it that bread should be a treat to her children when it was the meanest food of all the rest of the world she was in opposition to this order she did not want her sons to be peasants fixed and static as posts driven in the earth she wanted them to be in the great flux of life in the midst of all possibilities so she at length sent paolo to america to the gold mines meanwhile she covered the wall of her parlor with picture postcards to bring the outer world of cities and industries into her house paolo was entirely remote from maria's world he had not yet even grasped the fact of money not thoroughly he reckoned in land and olive trees so he had the old fatalistic attitude to his circumstances even to his food the earth was the lord's and the fullness thereof also the leanness thereof paolo could only do his part and leave the rest if he ate in plenty having oil and wine and sausage in the house and plenty of maize meal he was glad with the lord if he ate meagerly of poor polenta that was fate it was the skies that ruled these things and no man ruled the skies he took his fate as it fell from the skies maria was exorbitant about money she would charge us all she could for what we had and for what was done for us yet she was not mean in her soul 
in her soul she was in a state of anger because of her own closeness it was a violation to her strong animal nature yet her mind had wakened to the value of money she knew she could alter her position the position of her children by virtue of money she knew it was only money that made the difference between master and servant and this was all the difference she would acknowledge so she ruled her life according to money her supreme passion was to be mistress rather than servant her supreme aspiration for her children was that in the end they might be masters and not servants paolo was untouched by all this for him there was some divinity about a master which even america had not destroyed if we came in for supper whilst the family was still at table he would have the children at once take their plates to the wall he would have maria at once set the table for us though their own meal were never finished and this was not servility it was the dignity of a religious conception paolo regarded us as belonging to the signoria those who are elect near to god and this was part of his religious service his life was a ritual it was very beautiful but it made me unhappy the purity of his spirit was so sacred and the actual facts seemed such a sacrilege to it maria was nearer to the actual truth when she said that money was the only distinction but paolo had hold of an eternal truth where hers was temporal only paolo misapplied this eternal truth he should not have given giovanni the inferior status and a fat mean italian tradesman the superior that was false a real falsity maria knew it and hated it but paolo could not distinguish between the accident of riches and the aristocracy of the spirit so maria rejected him altogether and went to the other extreme we were all human beings like herself naked there was no distinction between us no higher nor lower but we were possessed of more money than she and she had to steer her course between these two conceptions the money alone made the real distinction the separation the being the life made the common level paolo had the curious peasant's avarice also but it was not meanness it was a sort of religious conservation of his own power his own self fortunately he could leave all business transactions on our account to maria so that his relation with us was purely ritualistic he would have given me anything trusting implicitly that i would fulfill my own nature as signore one of those more godlike nearer the light of perfection than himself a peasant it was pure bliss to him to bring us the first fruit of the garden it was like laying it on an altar and his fulfilment was in a fine subtle exquisite relationship not of manners but subtle interappreciation he worshipped a finer understanding and a subtler tact a further fineness and dignity and freedom in bearing was to him an approach towards the divine so he loved men best of all they fulfilled his soul a woman was always a woman and sex was a low level whereon he did not esteem himself but a man a doer the instrument of god he was really godlike paolo was a conservative for him the world was established and divine in its establishment his vision grasped a small circle a finer nature a higher understanding took in a greater circle comprehended the whole so that when paolo was in relation to a man of further vision he himself was extended towards the whole thus he was fulfilled and his initial assumption was that every signore every gentleman was a man of further purer vision than himself this assumption was false but maria's assumption that no one had a further vision no one was more elect than herself that we were all one flesh and blood and being was even more false paolo was mistaken in actual life but maria was ultimately mistaken paolo conservative as he was believing that a priest must be a priest of god yet very rarely went to church 
and he used the religious oaths that maria hated even porca maria he always used oaths either bacchus or god or mary or the sacrament maria was always offended yet it was she who in her soul jeered at the church and at religion she wanted the human society as the absolute without religious abstractions so paolo's oaths enraged her because of their profanity she said but it was really because of their subscribing to another superhuman order she jeered at the clerical people she made a loud clamour of derision when the parish priest of the village above went down to the big village on the lake and across the piazza the quay with two pigs in a sack on his shoulder this was a real picture of the sacred minister to her one day when a storm had blown down an olive tree in front of the house and paolo and giovanni were beginning to cut it up this same priest of mugiano came to san gaudenzio he was an iron-grey thin disreputable-looking priest very talkative and loud and queer he seemed like an old ne'er-do-well in priest's black and he talked loudly almost to himself as drunken people do at once he must show the fiori how to cut up the tree he must have the axe from paolo he shouted to maria for a glass of wine she brought it out to him with a sort of insolent deference insolent contempt of the man and traditional deference to the cloth the priest drained the tumbler full of wine at one drink his thin throat with its adam's apple working and he did not pay the penny then he stripped off his cassock and put away his hat and a ludicrous figure in ill-fitting black knee-breeches and a not very clean shirt a red handkerchief round his neck he proceeded to give great extravagant blows at the tree he was like a caricature in the doorway maria was encouraging him rather jeeringly whilst she winked at me marco was stifling his hysterical amusement in his mother's apron and prancing with glee paolo and giovanni stood by the fallen tree very grave and unmoved inscrutable abstract then the youth came away to the doorway with a flush mounting on his face and a grimace distorting its youngness only paolo unmoved and detached stood by the tree with unchanging abstract face very strange his eyes fixed in the ageless stare which is so characteristic meanwhile the priest swung drunken blows at the tree his thin buttocks bending in the green-black broadcloth supported on thin shanks and thin throat growing dull purple in the red knotted kerchief nevertheless he was doing the job his face was wet with sweat he wanted another glass of wine he took no notice of us he was strangely a local even a mountebank figure but entirely local an appurtenance of the district it was maria who jeeringly told us the story of the priest who shrugged her shoulders to imply that he was a contemptible figure paolo sat with the abstract look on his face as of one who hears and does not hear is not really concerned he never opposed or contradicted her but stayed apart it was she who was violent and brutal in her ways but sometimes paolo went into a rage and then maria everybody was afraid it was a white heavy rage when his blue eyes shone unearthly and his mouth opened with a curious drawn blindness of the old furies there was something of the cruelty of a falling mass of snow heavy horrible maria drew away there was a silence then the avalanche was finished they must have had some cruel fights before they learned to withdraw from each other so completely they must have begotten marco in hatred terrible disintegrated opposition and otherness and it was after this after the child of their opposition was born that paolo went away to california leaving his son gaudencio travelling with several companions like blind beasts to havre and thence to new york then to california 
he stayed five years in the gold mines in a wild valley living with a gang of italians in a town of corrugated iron all the while he had never really left san gaudenzio i asked him used you to think of it the lake the monte baldo the laurel trees down the slope he tried to see what i wanted to know yes he said but uncertainly i could see that he had never been really homesick it had been very wretched on the ship going from havre to new york that he told me about and he told me about the gold mines the galleries the valley the huts in the valley but he had never really fretted for san gaudenzio whilst he was in california in real truth he was at san gaudenzio all the time his fate was riveted there his going away was an excursion from reality a kind of sleepwalking he left his own reality there in the soil above the lake of garda that his body was in california what did it matter it was merely for a time and for the sake of his own earth his land he would pay off the mortgage but the gate at home was his gate all the time his hand was on the latch as for maria he had felt his duty towards her she was part of his little territory the rooted centre of the world he sent her home the money but it did not occur to him in his soul to miss her he wanted her to be safe with the children that was all in his flesh perhaps he missed the woman but his spirit was even more completely isolated since marriage instead of having united with each other they had made each other more terribly distinct and separate he could live alone eternally it was his condition his sex was functional like eating and drinking to take a woman a prostitute at the camp or not to take her was no more vitally important than to get drunk or not to get drunk of a sunday and fairly often on sunday paolo got drunk his world remained unaltered but maria suffered more bitterly she was a young powerful passionate woman and she was unsatisfied body and soul her soul's satisfaction became a bodily unsatisfaction her blood was heavy violent anarchic insisting on the equality of the blood in all and therefore on her own absolute right to satisfaction she took a wine license for san gaudenzio and she sold wine there were many scandals about her somehow it did not matter very much outwardly the authorities were too divided among themselves to enforce public opinion between the clerical party and the radicals and the socialists what canons were left that were absolute besides these wild villages had always been ungoverned yet maria suffered even she according to her conviction belonged to paolo and she felt betrayed betrayed and deserted the iron had gone deep into her soul paolo had deserted her she had been betrayed to other men for five years there was something cruel and implacable in life she sat sullen and heavy for all her quick activity her soul was sullen and heavy i could never believe felicina was paolo's child she was an unprepossessing little girl affected cold selfish foolish maria and paolo with real italian greatness were warm and natural towards the child in her but they did not love her in their very souls she was the fruit of ash to them and this must have been the reason that she was so self-conscious and foolish and affected small child that she was paolo had come back from america a year before she was born a year before she was born maria insisted the husband and wife lived together in a relationship of complete negation in his soul he was sad for her and in her soul she felt annulled he sat at evening in the chimney-seat smoking always pleasant and cheerful not for a moment thinking he was unhappy it had all taken place in his subconsciousness but his eyebrows and eyelids were lifted in a kind of vacancy his blue eyes were round and somehow finished 
though he was so gentle and vigorous in body but the very quick of him was killed he was like a ghost in the house with his loose throat and powerful limbs his open blue extinct eyes and his musical slightly husky voice that seemed to sound out of the past and maria stout and strong and handsome like a peasant woman went about as if there were a weight on her and her voice was high and strident she too was finished in her life but she remained unbroken her will was like a hammer that destroys the old form giovanni was patiently laboring to learn a little english paolo knew only four or five words the chief of which were all right boss bread and day the youth had these by heart and was studying a little more he was very graceful and lovable but he found it difficult to learn a confused light like hot tears would come into his eyes when he had again forgotten the phrase but he carried the paper about with him and he made steady progress he would go to america he also not for anything would he stay in san gaudenzio his dream was to be gone he would come back the world was not san gaudenzio to giovanni the old order the order of paolo and of pietro di paoli the aristocratic order of the supreme god god the father the lord was passing away from the beautiful little territory the household no longer receives its food oil and wine and maize from out of the earth in the motion of fate the earth is annulled and money takes its place the landowner who is the lieutenant of god and of fate like abraham he too is annulled there is now the order of the rich which supersedes the order of the signoria it is passing away from italy as it has passed from england the peasant is passing away the workman is taking his place the stability is gone paolo is a ghost maria is the living body and the new order means sorrow for the italian more even than it has meant for us but he will have the new order san gaudenzio is already becoming a thing of the past below the house where the land drops in sharp slips to the sheer cliff's edge over which it is maria's constant fear that felicina will tumble there are the deserted lemon gardens of the little territory snug down below they are invisible till one descends by tiny paths sheer down into them and there they stand the pillars and walls erect but a dead emptiness prevailing lemon trees all dead gone a few vines in their place it is only twenty years since the lemon trees finally perished of a disease and were not renewed but the deserted terrace shut between great walls descending in their openness full to the south to the lake and the mountain opposite seem more terrible than pompeii in their silence and utter seclusion the grape hyacinths flower in the cracks the lizards run this strange place hangs suspended and forgotten forgotten forever its erect pillars utterly meaningless i used to sit and write in the great loft of the lemon house high up far far from the ground the open front giving across the lake and the mountain snow opposite flush with twilight the old matting and boards the old disused implements of lemon culture made shadows in the deserted place then there would come the call from the back away above venga venga mangiare we ate in the kitchen where the olive and laurel wood burned in the open fireplace it was always soup in the evening then we played games or cards all playing or there was singing with the accordion and sometimes a rough mountain peasant with a guitar but it is all passing away giovanni is in america unless he has come back to the war he will not want to live in san gaudenzio when he is a man he says he and marco will not spend their lives wringing a little oil and wine out of the rocky soil even if they are not killed in the fighting which is going on at the end of the lake 
in my loft by the lemon houses now i should hear the guns and giovanni kissed me with a kind of supplication when i went on to the steamer as if he were beseeching for a soul his eyes were bright and clear and lit up with courage he will make a good fight for the new soul he wants that is if they do not kill him in this war end of section five